Well, good morning, good morning, church. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're glad that you're here. And if you're new to the church or new to Christianity, thank you for being here with us. We're really thankful to have you worshiping with us today. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to look at the last part of this chapter of John chapter 3. And this is a sweet passage that we're going to look at. Um, so I hope you're encouraged. I pray that you're encouraged today as we go through this. So as you make your way to John chapter 3, there's an image I want you to see on the screen. It's fascinating. Maybe you've been to a dog race before or watched one on TV, but it's an interesting thing because you get all these dogs, you line them up in their different lanes, right? And then the gate drops. These dogs run as fast as they can trying to catch this pillow that looks like a rabbit on this stick, right? And these dogs run and run and run, and then right when they get to the finish line, the thing they're running after disappears, right? Like, Rusty the rabbit is no more. It's, it's gone. And then they, they, they get back in their running lanes, and they, they do it again. They run after this little pillow, looks like a rabbit, and then they don't catch it, and it disappears into the race. I mean, that's what dog racing is. That's how they get them to run down the track over and over and over again. And I'll be honest, I, I feel kind of bad for the dogs, right? Like... You're consistently chasing after something that you just can't reach. It's just out of your grasp. And then you get up and you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you never catch it. It's a little sad. But the sad thing is, a lot of times we live our lives the same way. We get up every day. And we run the race and we chase after that thing that we think will satisfy our hearts and we never catch it. And so we wake up and we do it again the next day and then the next week and then the next month. We never seem to be satisfied. We never seem to catch the thing that we're running after. And one thing that's really interesting or fascinating about this is if these dogs, if one of them actually catches up and is able to catch that rabbit, that pillow, and they realize it's just a mirage, that dog will never run a race again. Never. They cannot teach it or train that dog to run the race again because it knows at that point that that thing is a mirage, that that thing is not real, that that thing is not going to satisfy. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> and how much more is it sad for us <laughs> Not just that we run the race and we never catch what we desire, but that we run the race and maybe we actually catch that thing that we think will satisfy us, and then we realize it doesn't. That's a scary place to be. Now the hope for us this morning is in John chapter 3, we're going to see that, that God's word is going to invite us to some of the, the deepest longings of our heart being satisfied. He's going to invite us to find joy in life today. And not just joy, but complete joy. And not just life, but everlasting or eternal life. The things that our hearts are longing for, that we're racing after, that's what we find in John chapter 3 can be fulfilled in Christ. So let's look at God's word, starting in verse 22 of chapter 3. I'm going to stop here a couple times as we get started just to explain a couple things. But it says... And after this, remember, that's what we were talking about last week, this conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus, where Jesus looks at this righteous in the eyes of the world, 
moral man and says, hey, unless you're born again, there's no way you're getting into heaven. But there's hope. There's hope. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if you would just believe in him, you could have this everlasting life. That's what the after this is, okay? So after that conversation happens. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing. Now that guy, John, is not the author, not the disciple John, but John the Baptist. We were introduced to him in chapter 1. So you can go back and listen to our, our sermon in that, that week to talk about John the Baptist, but today we're going to focus on him again. He's bringing him back up so we can see him. So this is John the Baptist. He was also baptizing in Anon in Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Just a side note, this is not a sermon, but it is important that they're going to John to be baptized because the water was plentiful there. Baptism is not just a sprinkling or a dipping, it's a submersion. That's what it means to be baptized. That word baptizo means to dunk. And so he's gone to a place where there's a lot of water so that he can baptize people, right? Now verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness... Look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal on this, that God is true. For he who God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Would you pray with me? Lord, morning, this morning we, we pray and ask that you would increase and that we would decrease. For you are worthy of it all because you are above all. Lord, we don't want you just to increase here at our church or just in our lives, but Lord, we ask that you would increase in the churches in our city and in our nation who love you and are spreading the gospel. And so Lord, we as a church wanna pray for other churches today that you would increase there. Father, we pray for King's Church as they preach the gospel and share it this morning. Pray for Mercy Church today that you would speak through Spence. 
Lord, we lift up Christ Community Church in Hickory Grove and ask that your praise would increase in those places and that the lives of believers here in Charlotte would, would grow in their love for you and their affection for you. God, may your name and your fame grow from neighborhoods to nations. Lord, we pray that it would start in our hearts and in our church today. It's in your name that we ask. Amen. All right, there's two major themes that we see in this passage, things that, that our hearts are longing for, and I mentioned it earlier, but it's joy in life, joy in life. And what I want us to see in this passage is that as God, as Jesus increases and we decrease, first, we find complete joy. We find complete joy. That's kind of the, the first half of this, this passage. It's interesting, this whole moment in history starts with a discussion is what verse 25 says, a discussion. Now that word for discussion can mean a dispute, <laughs> an argument. And it's interesting because you got men arguing over ministry. They're making a competition over ministry. Wait, like Jesus is baptizing and John's baptizing, but his ministry looks better. And like there's this whole discussion, there's this whole debate because everybody knows that men can make a competition out of anything, right? Even ministry. It's funny, um, I love getting text messages like this from my wife, but this week she texts, and whenever she starts the text like this and says, your sons, dot, dot, dot. I know it's going to be a good text. And my sons, they're great at making competitions out of anything, right? One's four, one's seven, and they like to compete against each other. So one day, my, this, this past week, my wife texts me, she's like, guess what your sons did? They said they want to go out into the garage, and they need some golf balls, and she said, I asked them, what do you need golf balls for? And they had come up with this competition that one person is going to ride a scooter around in the, uh, the garage, and the other person is going to have a golf club and try to hit them with golf balls. And the person who gets hit with the least amount of golf balls is the winner. That's the competition. I mean, literally, they're, they're inventing competitions. We'll make a competition out of anything. That's just what guys do, Right. But here, here in this passage, you see them making a competition out of ministry, right? Who's better? You think that in the church world this wouldn't happen, but it happens all the time. And the first thing that they're discussing here, the first thing they're debating is over purification, which I just find fascinating, right? They're debating, man, how is somebody to be pure? And so they come to John the Baptist and they're like, all right, you're going to, Tell us who's the winner in this debate. Who's the winner in this discussion over purification? How do we become pure? Now, if you remember, when we met John the Baptist in John chapter 1, John's already told them how we become pure. John sees Jesus coming down the road, and he looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sin of the world. He's already like, hey, guys, I've already told you how to be purified. I've already told you how to have your guilt and your shame washed away. How you can be pure in the eyes of God. I've already answered this question of purification. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And they try to bolster John up to say, like, you're better than Jesus, John. If you look at it, they're like, hey, Rabbi, you remember this guy? This is all in verse 26. You remember this guy that was with you there at the Jordan? You know, the guy that you baptized? The one that you told us who he was, like, John, you're, you're definitely better than him. You baptize him, you're, you're telling everybody who he is, like, you're above him. But John's response, 
It isn't one of greed, wanting fame. It isn't one of hurt that these people are going to Jesus instead of him. John's response in this moment is one of joy. I mean, let that settle in for just a minute. I mean, they're coming to him and they're like, John, people are leaving your ministry. People aren't listening to what you're saying in this moment. And John's almost like, no, 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 you guys aren't listening to what I'm saying. I am not the Christ. I'm not the one that it's all about. I'm not the greatest. And in that moment, when he says, he must increase and I must decrease, it is met with joy in this moment. And I love this. Do you see what John did in this passage? John went from them talking about purification to talking about pure joy. Do you see that? They come and they're like, how can we have our sins forgiven? John's like, I've already told you about that. But let me tell you something else. Something greater than just forgiveness. Because Jesus doesn't just offer us forgiveness, although he does. And it's founded in him and him alone. But I want you to see and I want you to know that there is joy founded in him. Pure joy. Complete joy. John moves the whole conversation that they're talking about from purity to pure joy. From John to Jesus. That's what he keeps doing. He keeps turning them around and pointing them to Christ over and over again. And this is a bold statement that John makes here in verse 29. My joy is complete? Like, it would be one thing if John just said, and I have joy in him. Like, Jesus gives me joy. That would have been sufficient. But that's not what he did in that moment. That's not what he said. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. We are surrounded by a culture, people. Maybe our hearts are full of this. We're anxiously searching for a lasting joy. We look to it in, in success. We try to find it in our jobs. We try to find complete joy in our marriages, in our family, in our health and fitness. We look at all of these things saying, this is where my complete joy is going to be found. And there are joys to be found in each one of these areas. And even God honoring joys in each one of these areas. But these things can never bring complete joy. They'll never bring complete joy. They can't. They're, de they're deficient. Only Christ, the creator of our heart, soul, and mind, can bring joy and complete joy to each one of those areas. It's fascinating. Our hearts are longing for this and we're searching for this. Jim Carrey, the actor and comedian, um, voiced the truth that our hearts are longing for this at the Golden Globes several years ago. And I encourage you maybe even to look at this because it's fascinating. This man who's been successful in, in every area that you would imagine, from success to fame to finances, everything the world would say is successful. There at the Golden Globes several years ago, he's, before he's about to announce the, the best motion picture for comedy, he looks at Hollywood's elite, the famous and popular people, and he says this, and people are laughing at first at what he's saying just because he's a funny guy, but then it gets sobering at the end. And this is what he says. He says, I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time gold winner, 
Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And everybody laughs a little bit. He says, when I dream, I don't dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. And then he pauses and he says, because then I would be enough. It'd finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately will not fulfill me. And that's sad, but fascinating at the same time. He says to all these people who are at that event hoping to win that Golden Globe, that the thing that you're hoping to win won't satisfy you. And he's saying, even if I won my third one, I still know it wouldn't ultimately satisfy me. I mean, if a Golden Globe or three won't satisfy you, if a great paying job won't complete your joy, if wonderful success and great fame won't satisfy you and give you complete joy, then what will? What will satisfy the deepest longings of our heart? Because this is what God's word is telling us. God knows our heartaches. God knows what we're striving after. God knows our weariness and our exhaustion trying to find joy in all these different areas. And so he speaks to us in this moment through a man named John to listen up. This is where you find complete joy. And it's found in the most unlikely of places. It's not found in us gaining more. It's by us being less. Right after he says, my joy is now complete, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, I think for us as Christians, we, we probably know this passage. I just don't know if we believe it. I think the reason why we struggle with joy is because we think if we increase, then we'll have complete joy. If our stuff increases, then we'll have complete joy. But what John says is my joy is complete because Jesus has increased in my life and I have decreased. And this is weird to us. This is odd to us because we think if we increase, then that's where we're gonna find joy. But that's not where it's found. And John even says here, and it's weird when we try to increase to find joy. And he gives this illustration of being like at a wedding where it's about the bride and the groom. Those are the two people it's about. He's thinking, have you been to a wedding where the best man tries to make it about him? I've never seen that in a wedding before. Like I've seen a lot of crazy things at a wedding. I've seen a father of the bride come down in a clown suit. Like I've seen that at a wedding, right? Like I've seen a lot of funny things, a lot of crazy things at a wedding, but I've never seen the best man push the groom out of the way and be like, I got this. Don't worry about it. I got it. And if you did, like, you'd be like, what is he doing? Like, that's weird. That's odd. And John's like, yes, but when you live for yourself and to increase your fame and your name, it's weird. You're running the wrong direction. You're not going to find complete joy there. You're not going to find it. What you're going to find is awkwardness, right? That's what he's saying in this moment. John is challenging us to change our minds and to think differently, to think differently. A pastor friend of mine said it like this, and I love it. He said, we are never so empty as when we are full of ourselves. And we are never so full as when we are full of Jesus. 
Let me say that again. We are never so empty as when we are full of ourselves. And we are never so full as when we are full of Jesus. You see, some of us, our lives feel empty and cluttered at the same time. How is that even possible? We feel empty inside and yet we're, we're just cluttered with so many things. It's because we're filling it up with things that are mirages, things that won't satisfy, things that won't fulfill us. And John is saying, no, joy, joy complete is found when Jesus increases and we decrease. And I, I know, well, I don't know, I assume some of us probably hear this truth today. And you think, Ryan, you're crazy. John, you're crazy. There's no way that I can decrease because if I decrease, then who's going to take care of me? If I decrease, then how am I going to know that I'm going to get the things that I need and the things that I want in life? Like you tell yourself that, and so you're like, no, no, what I want is Jesus. I want you to increase, and as you increase, just kind of bring me along with you and increase me as you increase. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But I want you to see from this passage the truth so you don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that if I decrease, then nobody's going to care for me. Nobody's going to take care of me. John knows the truth. Look at verse 27. Look back at this. And honestly, if you want to memorize a verse, this is a great verse to memorize. This verse, if you memorize it and live it out, it'll change your life. John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. If you're worried, if I decrease, that I'm not going to have what I need, then you don't understand who God is. We just read in the conversation with Nicodemus before that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If God would give to us the thing that is the most precious to him, then why would he not give us all things? And John looks right here and he says, a person can't receive even one thing. Once again, look at the language of that. It doesn't say a person can't receive some things. Unless it's given to him from heaven, not even one thing, not one heartbeat, not one breath, not one penny, not one dollar, not one promotion, not one spouse. You cannot gain one thing unless it is given to you from heaven. Man, the peace and the rest we could have in that if we just trusted in that. If we could let some things go in our lives and just know like, God, if I don't get it in my life, it's because you know I don't need it. If you haven't given it to me, then I don't need it. And at the same time, we can have peace and comfort in knowing that if God wants to give us something, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. If God desires for us to have something, it is going to happen because he's the king of all creation. And so let us not believe this lie that if I decrease and he increases, then I'm going to have lack. I believe we'll find far, far more. I think we'll find far more joy, far more rest, far more peace. This is the beauty of the gospel. Yes, the gospel also offers us purification, forgiveness of our sins because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he's also the God who offers us pure joy, pure joy, complete joy. And so the step of application we have to make with this truth is a, is a step of faith and trust. 
We have to trust that this is who God is. We have to trust that as he increases in our life and we decrease, we will have more than enough. Do you believe that? Do you trust God or not? That's what it really boils down to. Will we trust him and give ourselves to him more than giving ourselves to ourself? And as we do that, that we'll find joy. Do we truly believe and trust that God will give us all that we need? Do we trust God with that promotion or with that relationship? Some of the, the greatest blessings that God will ever give you and I is when we don't get the phone call back. God sees things that we don't see and knows things that we don't know. And so sometimes the things that we want so desperately, God doesn't give us because he knows it's not good for us. So for some of us that have been waiting for that phone call from that person or for that job, maybe God's grace knows better. Will you trust God? Will you trust God in every area of your life? Because as we trust and lean on him more, that is where we find joy. And not just temporary joy, complete joy. We won't find it anywhere else. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, says it like this. Makes it even more abundantly clear than John 3. It says to the Lord, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It doesn't say you make me know the path of life and, and in my stuff and possessions there's fullness of joy. And at the right hand of success and fame and promotion are pleasures forevermore. Now there can be joy in those places, but it says specifically right here, it's found in the presence of God. It's found in the might in this right hand. It's found there. That's where we find our pleasures Will we trust in the truth of God's word? Will we live in such a way that we find this joy that our hearts are longing for because of our faith in him? May we decrease, let him increase, and we'll find joy. But we won't just find joy, we'll also find life. And not just any life, we'll find abundant life. That's what we find in verses 31 through 36. It ends with this this call that the whole book's about. Anyone believes in the Son has eternal life. This is what he's being offered. As he decreases and Jesus increases, he's saying, I'm finding life and more of it, an everlasting life. Now, I want us to have a well-rounded view of this view of eternal life. Because so often we view eternal life, we talk about it in the Bible or we read it or you hear about it, we view it as like, uh, a savings bond <laughs> or a retirement account. Like that's how we think and view eternal life. That, okay, I'm gonna look at Jesus and get this little deposit and kind of put little moral works into the savings account. And then when I die and I go to heaven, then I'll cash all that in and I'll get the joy in that moment. That's not what eternal life is. That's not what eternal life is. Jesus doesn't want you just to come to salvation and then eke your way through life suffering and then having pain and then die and then go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. God desires for us to have the joy we just talked about, but also eternal life. Look at verse 36 for a second. It said, whoever believes in the Son has, 
not will have, not will one day have. He has eternal life. That's present tense. He owns it. If you look to Jesus, you have eternal life. But Jesus cares about how you live that eternal life in your everyday life. That's why he says, as, as Jesus comes in verse 33, he comes with truth. And then in verse 34, he who comes speaks, he utters the words of God. The words of God. That's what Jesus comes and brings to us. He brings to us the very words of God. Jesus does not come bringing words about God. Notice that. That word of is a big deal. It's two, word, two, two letters for us, but it's a big deal in this passage. Utters the words of God. Not about God. The very words of God. This is why Jesus is different from Muhammad. Jesus is different from Abraham and his words. Jesus' words are different from Buddha's words. Jesus speaks the words of God, not the words about God, because he is God. And if you're unclear about that, John makes it clear by saying that he comes from above all, because he is above all. In verse 31, he says it twice. He says it twice that Jesus is above all. He wants us to understand this, that he is not just a man from the earth, that he is God come from heaven to earth. That's why John says in verse 31, you know, somebody from earth speaks about earthly things. That's what John speaks about. That's what you and I speak about. But Jesus comes with words from heaven, the words of God, in order to guide us through this life. That we would have eternal life now, not just when we die and we go to heaven. He cares about how we live now. He wants us to live in the fullness of life and the fullness of joy now. And so he says that he's above all things. He's above all. He's above all thrones and authorities. He's above the visible and the invisible. He's above heaven and earth. Jesus is above all things and holds all things together. He's above time. He's above all wisdom. He's above all powers. And he offers us in that abundant wisdom how to live our lives, to have abundant life. And if he is above all, which he is, then it should change the way that we live. Jesus did not come just to inform us with facts. He came to transform us, to change us, that we would live differently now. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus, being above all, sees all and speaks truth. I don't know if you've ever been on a helicopter ride before. I've had the joy of doing it. It's, it's fun. But when you fly over a city or you fly over an area and you're above it, it gives you a whole different perspective, right? You can look down into the city or wherever you took your plane flight and you can just see things that people can't see. You look down on a city and you're like, man, there's a traffic jam on this street. If I could just tell those people, like, hey, avoid it and go around it this way, right? You can see that this road is a dead end. It does not lead to anywhere. And so a lot of people are traveling down this road. Some know maybe it's a dead end. Some are like, no, 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 I feel, feel like this road's where I need to go. And it's a dead end. But from above, you can see, and you're like, no, 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 no. Avoid these things. 
run this path. This is the way that you need to go. And that's what Jesus is doing with his above all view. He's above time. He's above worldly wisdom. And I know we think we have a lot of wisdom. We think we understand everything because we can Google a couple articles and we can know everything about it. As great as Google is, Jesus knows far, far more. He knows far more about us and our identity. He knows far more about our world. He knows far more about what's going to satisfy the longings of our heart because he is above all. And so when we read God's word and we see God say, go this way and not that way, it's for our good and for his glory. And so we look at it and we're like, yes, we should obey it. We should listen to it. He desires for us to have life now, and it's found in living out his word. This is where we find protection and guarding and life and life everlasting. You see, if you are a Christian, this is your only option. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says like this. He, speaking of Jesus, died for all. That those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He's saying Christ came that we would no longer live for ourselves, but that we could die and find life through his death and his resurrection. And so Jesus is no longer an attachment to our life. He's the point of our life because he's above all things. And I know I'm stressing this because the reality is we're not living like this. We're not living like Jesus is the life. Barna Research did a study not too long ago on younger people. And they asked them the question, is God an important part of your life? And almost all of them, almost every person they surveyed answered the question, yes. But then as they asked deeper questions about what they value, what they pursue, what they chase, God showed up in a fraction of the answers. A fraction. So is God important? Yeah. Yeah, he's important. And yet he doesn't come up when we talk about our time, how we spend it. He doesn't come up on how we spend our money. He's not coming up in our thoughts and what we dream about and the aspirations we have for our life. He's not coming up there. Because we are increasing in our lives and he is decreasing. And yet our hearts are so hungry. All that we would look to the words of Christ and allow him to increase in our life so that we could have joy and joy everlasting. Now you might say, well, Ryan, if I listen to the words of God and if I truly believe he is above all, What if he asked me to do something that I don't want to do? Let me just go ahead and get that out of the way. He will. He will ask you to do things that you don't want to do and I don't want to do. If you're looking for a guy that's going to tell you everything that you want to do and how you want to do it, then what you want is not God. You want an echo chamber. You want to be God. You want to be able to speak into the cave and say right out exactly what you want to do. You ultimately want to be God. That's what it looks like. The Bible is filled with stories of people who who looked at God as better and allowed him to increase and for them to decrease, even though they didn't want to do it. Abraham did not want to offer his son Isaac, and yet he was obedient to the Lord, right? 
Moses didn't want to go to talk to Pharaoh to get God's people free. He didn't want to do it and came up with a list of excuses why he couldn't do it. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and yet he did because God loved those people, right? The stories of the Bible are filled with people who had to respond with God in faith and trust, allowing God to increase in their life and for them to decrease. So are we listening to Jesus are we seeing that he is above all? In him, in him we find life in him alone. Are we listening to him or are we ignoring him? And to ignore Jesus is madness. It might not totally affect us today, but we need to understand that eternity is at stake when we ignore Jesus. And that's where this passage ends in verse 36. Eternal life is offered to us. It is. All who would believe in him would have eternal life. But then it ends and it says for those who don't believe, they don't see life. They'll never see life. And the wrath of God remains on him. You see, believing in Jesus is not an option. It's essential for our salvation, for us to have hope in life. Jesus has come in order to free us from the wrath that we bear because of the judgment of our sin. Both by nature and nurture, we are sinners rebelling against God. God's wrath rests on us because of his holy outrage and his justice for what is wrong. We look at the injustices in our world and it bothers us. It drives us crazy when we see those things swept under the rug. How much more an eternal God who sees all of our sins, he can't sweep that under the rug. In his justice, he comes and brings wrath upon it. He brings wrath upon it. Another way to say what's happening here in this passage and ultimately in all of John chapter 3 is this. Because of the justice of God, all sin must be paid for. All sin must be paid for. Justice is coming. And we have two options Either we can make the payment or we can allow Jesus to make the payment. You see, his justice is coming, yes, but because of God's mercy, he delays that payment of judgment. And it's because of God's grace that he pays our debt on the cross on our behalf. And so, yeah, we can pay that cost. We say, well, I don't want to believe in Jesus. I don't want to believe in the Son. And so you can take on that wrath for all of eternity. That's an option for you. You can choose that. And if you say, well, I'm not going to do anything with Jesus, then you default into that category. You can't remain neutral in this. Or you can look and say, Jesus, I know that wrath is on me, but you've extended to me eternal life because you gave your life for me. He can be the substitute for your sins. Jesus did not die on the cross for his sins. He had no sins. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And if we look to him and say, God, save me, and I believe that somehow that death counted for me, that he will save you. And your eternal life will start right now. So have you ever believed and received this eternal life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the hope of complete joy that you give us. 
But Lord, thank you at the same time that being just, you could not just let sin go by, but that you will judge all unrighteousness. Thank you for that, Lord. We can look to you to be our substitute, to take our penalty and our sin, and we thank you for that good news. And today, if you're here, you've never trusted in that, then pray to Jesus now. Receive that truth, believe that, and allow him to change you, to give you eternal life in your everyday life, to give you joy and to, to give you joy completely. So pray to him now, just like the one last week that prayed and found life and life everlasting right here. Would you take that step of faith? For others of us who are Christians, we have to respond to the gospel. And so I would challenge you to respond in trust today, looking to him to satisfy the deepest, deepest longings of your heart. Maybe you need to confess your sin before him, asking for him to increase in your life and that you would decrease. Would you take that step of faith and do that today, Lord? Would you pray that to him? Lord, we need you to do what we can't do. We need you to give us that new life. We need to give that complete joy. And so, Lord, do that today. Do that this week. And help us to live differently as you increase and as we decrease. And we pray that in your name. Amen.